0: Well, Welcome to Renovate. Uh, again, if you walked in late, we're glad you're here. Uh, we want to know you. We want to um, walk with you more than just providing a worship show for you. We really want to be able to do life with you, so let us know how to do that with the Connect Cards. We're going to be in Galatians 6. Um, this is, sadly for me, although I'm really excited about what's going to happen next week and the next few weeks, uh, the last sermon in Galatians Uh, for us. And I've said this, I think maybe almost every time I've preached Galatians uh, the last eight or nine weeks. Um, Man, what what our hope is, is that you guys are digging into the word of God throughout the week, that you're not just depending on us to say, okay, in 30, 40 minutes, you unpack and explain the depths and riches of all that is in an entire chapter of scripture. Um, and really that challenge to say, keep digging, keep wrestling, um, get in a home group with other believers who are looking at the word of God and trying to make observations and interpret that and then apply that correctly to their life. Uh, but we're going to be wrapping it up in Galatians 6. I'm, I'm really excited. Um, I'm going to tell you a quick story. Fourth of July, um, in, our, in our family, uh, in the family technically I married into, uh, my, my wife, her mom, I've got some incredible in-laws, they have this tradition, and when we were dating, we always did this, her grandmother has this homemade ice cream machine, um, and so every Fourth of July, we go to her mom's house, she's got a swimming pool, like we celebrate America, and then we make homemade ice cream, and it's an amazing thing, and it's one of the amazing gifts from the Lord, is homemade ice cream, it is a, a blessing from him. Uh, it, Jesus bought that and he gave it to us uh, And so we love it, right? I, it's a big thing for me Several years ago It's actually one of the reasons I married Danielle Was I was like, this is it This is the She's the one um, That's not true There's lots of other reasons um, uh, And, uh, and so, so several years ago Fourth of July, yeah, we're doing our thing, swimming and having fun and all that kind of stuff, and then it's homemade ice cream time, and so we get all the ingredients, and there's all these ingredients, you get the milk and the cream, and then if you want to flavor it, there's all kinds of flavors, and you got to have, it's just just an entire process, right, and you got to put it all together, and you put it in this thing, and then you put this thing in this other thing, right, and then you put this other thing on top of that deal, and it locks down, and there's all these dumaflages everywhere, and then you plug that sucker into the wall. Which I did, after, after putting all the ingredients in, and, and you flip on the on switch. And several years ago, I flipped on the on switch, and you know what happened? Nothing happened. Nothing happened. So I unplugged it, and I plugged it in, and surely it's an electrical problem. Surely the house is broken, not the ice cream machine. Lord, would that be the case, please. So I unplugged it, and I was plug it into a different wall. flip the switch. Nothing, again. You know those moments when you wonder if God is real or if he's abandoned you, you know? <laughs> And you just think, why? And you just relate to Job, you know, in the book of in the book of Job. And you just think, why God, where are you? Have you abandoned me? Uh, That was one of those moments for me. Uh, We haven't had homemade ice cream since, actually. Our marriage is struggling through that, but we're gonna push on through. Um, It's not true. Our marriage is perfect. We don't have problems. Um, But but the point, the point is this, and here's what I want us to see with, with Galatians 6. Uh, Galatian, the book of Galatians is incredible, man. I hope I hope you guys fell in love with it at least a little bit. Um, I have have um, yeah, I, it's been a huge blessing for Josh and I to get to preach through it. Um, but one of the things that we've seen is we have seen ingredients throughout five chapters of Galatians. Right, through the first five chapters, we've seen these ingredients of what it looks like to have your identity as a son or a daughter of God and be able to call him Abba, Father, what it looks like that it's not about the law and that what it looks like that we're saved by grace through faith and what it looks like to be crucified in Christ and these incredibly powerful and important theological ingredients that make up our identity. And then comes Galatians 6, which is just Paul's application now of, and thou, this is what practically you should look like. If all of these things are true, if you're walking in the Spirit, like what Josh preached about last week and all of these fruits are true. And if, if you have an identity healthy with representing and recognizing God as your father and all of these things, then this is what's going to happen in action for you. And so that's where we are. That's what we're stepping into. It is a chapter that is just rich with Paul saying, here's what you should look like. Here's what you should be doing. Pick up in verse 1 of chapter 6. Brothers, If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. There's so much that's here, right? Just in those first two verses. um, One of the things I love about chapter 6 of Galatians is that, It's right after chapter 5 of Galatians. And in chapter 5 of Galatians, what Josh preached so well last week, if you didn't hear last week's sermon, I really encourage you to podcast it or get on the World Wide Web and check that out um, and listen to it. He did such a good job of unpacking what it looks like to walk in the Spirit. And if we walk in the Spirit, if we are believers who are walking in the Spirit, then this is what should be happening. We should then have this sort of posture that he talks about. And one of the things that's really interesting uh, one of the things that's really interesting when he, when he talks about you who are spiritual, you who are, other translations say, walking in the spirit, uh, is I think so often for me when I think, oh, man, I want to walk in the spirit. What does that look like? And I, I think sometimes even myself or even our generation will say, what is walking in the spirit? That's when you, like, if you're really walking in the spirit, then the application of that, what it's going to look like is you're going to have, like, prophetic visions for everyone and dreams that materialized, and you can set things on fire with your mind and levitate and all these things, right? And, and we kind of, we lean towards this, you know, spectacular and we think maybe that's what it is. Or maybe, maybe we interpret walk in the spirit and, and, and what does that look like practically? It looks like such a sweet devotional life. Such a sweet devotional life. And if you're walking in the spirit, there should be a really sweet devotional life in your life. But what he says is brothers, brothers who are who are spiritual, who are walking in the spirit, what is their application? Anyone who's caught in transgression, what's it look like? Restoring people. We should be restoring people. That's what it looks like to walk in the spirit. That is one of the main applications of what it looks like. And and that's such a big thing. Um, The application for us to look outward and to restore others. If this identity of the first five chapters of Galatians is true, then we should be people who look outward and restore others, um, in the garden, in the garden of Eden, which is in the very beginning of this book uh, in Genesis, we see Adam given a task, and I love this picture. I talk about it a lot. We see Adam given this task, and what's his task? The world, the created world that God has created, needs order, and so God gives Adam this task of speaking order into creation, speaking order into the chaos of creation. And I love, love that picture. Um, and, uh, and it's such a, a sweet, sweet look at what we as believers are called to do. We as believers are called to speak order where there is chaos, to restore. We are called to, to speak truth into lies where people have fallen into them. Um, a great uh, A great definition of restore that I've heard is, to put back into order, to repair. And even this idea of it's like setting a fractured bone. So sometimes even stepping into that restoration is painful, right? But we're out of order. If we're honest with ourselves in our lives, there are places in our lives where we, there is chaos in our life. There's brokenness in our life. We even as Christians, as believers, there is a great sense of brokenness that still happens because we're fallen, broken people. And so we as a body of Christ are called to step into that and say, let me, let me speak some truth into there. Let me speak truth into these lies. That's what our relationships are designed to be. I have a three-year-old, and, and with my three-year-old, and I also have a two-month-old, ten, ten-week-old, my role as a father and Danielle's role as a mother is to speak truth into his life, to speak order into the chaos of, of how a three-year-old lives and sees the world. So even just today, he just really wanted to play with water in the sink, and he had this little measuring cup, and he'd fill it up, and then it would go everywhere. And, and so we let him do it a couple of times. It was really fun. It was like, okay, you can only do it one more time. He did it one more time. That wasn't good enough. He wanted to do it more. And so there became this, this tension. And so we had to discipline him to say, no, you, you can't do it. Don't, don't turn on the sink. Charlie, don't, don't, you, don't you turn on the sink. Well, don't you, don't turn on the sink. It was this showdown, and my wife won. My wife won that showdown, because she's the best. Um, But it was this neat moment where where Danielle got to pull him aside and, and walk through, like, why? Why is it? Because we care about you, because we care about the man you're going to become. Not really because we care about water on the kitchen floor. As much as it is, you're a three-year-old and your life is out of whack and you need people to set structure and and, and teach you why it's good to obey and teach you why it's good to listen and all of those things. Same thing in dating relationships. Same thing in marriages. That's our role. Our role is to, if you are in a dating relationship, if you've got even just roommates that you do life with, the people you do life with, is to look into their life and speak truth into it. Speak truth into lies, and, and that, is our, that is our primary function as believers with each other. That's how we encourage each other. And this is interesting, too, because he says in here, he, he says real clearly, if anyone is caught in transgression. So, yes, it is for just the brokenness that is within our, our own lives, but also, it's for sin. It's, for, it's not just because my son doesn't know or, or because somebody, oh, they have a misconception of themselves. It's for sin that we get caught in that we as believers are called to step into that and speak into it. Um, a, uh, a good friend of mine, this was, this was a while back, a good friend of mine uh, gave me a call and said, hey, I need to talk to you. Can I meet you on your porch? I don't want to bother you, but I need to talk to you. So I meet him on my porch, and, uh, and he's broken. He is, uh, he's clearly been crying, and, um, and he just starts to unpack a little bit of, of what just happened. And what just happened was another brother in Christ pointed out, some sin that was in his life. It wasn't this massive thing, but it was this sin that he didn't realize it was a blind spot that he wasn't aware of. And this brother in Christ sat him down and was like, hey man, there's some sin here and this is happening and I don't think you see it and, and walking him through it. And, and that's hard. That's a hard thing to take. Um, that's a hard thing to receive. And so he calls me and is like, man, I need, a, I, need, I need somebody else to walk through this with me. Ben, do you see it? And so I get to sit there with him and say, yeah, I actually do. Man. I, I do. And I think that's really courageous of that guy to speak into that. And I do think that's a blind spot and got to walk through the process of what it looks like to walk out of that and what, what healing looks like and what it looks like to set that bone and then, and then be restored from that. And man, let me tell you, um, being friends and being buddies with that guy, to see what happened after that conversation makes me worship God more. Because what happened in this man's life was he, was he was made aware of sin. Someone loved him enough to say, there's brokenness and something needs to be restored here. And so I'm going to step into it. I'm gonna tell you there's a blind spot. And then, and then he, he repents and he changes and he, he changes his mind towards it and he, and he takes these steps and, and it's amazing to see him, just what God is doing in his life right now. It's incredible. And, and that has happened. I have been on the other side of that story more often than not of someone who loved me well enough, um, whether it was my father, whether it was you know, Tyler, whether it was other, other men in my life who have stepped in and said, hey, I see a blind spot in your life and that's gonna rob you and it's sin and it's transgression. It's this, it's this disobedience and they loved me enough to step into it and, and tell me. And it's huge, and it's life-changing, and we have to be able to walk in the Spirit and be spiritual to do that. I can't just go around. I gotta, I've got to be a believer who is walking in step with the Spirit so that I might see what the Spirit reveals, so that I might see my wife through the lens of how the Holy Spirit sees her, so I might see my friends and, and people in our flock and people in our culture and other believers, so I might see them and, and see them through the lens of, this is what the Lord has. And then step courageously into that, listening to the Spirit and then being obedient to it. Uh, and, and I think it's really important too that Paul even says, and be careful with that. Right, in verse two he says, and be careful, essentially that you don't get stuck in that. And so often, I think it's really wise that the apostle says, when you're stepping into other people's sin and brokenness, just be careful, because it's, it's dangerous for you to even get sucked up into that sin. Uh, and then I also love the other uh, the other kind of condition, the other boundary he puts on what this restoration should look like as believers, should be in the spirit, but also it should be gentle, which is huge for us. I mean, we should be people who restore out of gentleness, not, ooh, I got you. Right? And so often that kind of is, reveals the own, their, our own sin, and we see some a sin in someone else, and it's kind of a I got you moment. Oh, man, you got this going on, and look, and hey, everybody, look at this person's sin, and I mean, I'm just trying to restore him, but seriously, or we do the whole, hey, I got some prayer requests about that guy, because he is really wicked, and, and we, we couch this, in this and that's not gentle, and honestly, this happens on social media more than anything, um, and I'm just as guilty as the next guy, but on social media, it's so easy, to just step into something that we see as wrong, which we should as believers, but to step into it in, an, in a non-gentle way, in a way that isn't gentle, isn't in line with how the Spirit of God would, would ask us to. So it's not just restore, it's restore gently. Okay, and so look at verse two. In verse two he says, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. So we're stepping in, to people's brokenness and their transgressions. We're stepping into it, we're bearing their burdens, and then what happens? What happens is we are fulfilling the law of Christ. When we read that by stepping in and restoring brokenness in other believers, we are fulfilling the law of Christ, alarms should be going off in our head. Alarms should be going off our head in Galatians 6 that Paul is using the word fulfilling the law of Christ. All of Galatians, what is the buzzword that Paul pushes against over and over and over again? From chapter one, he says, man, it's not about the law. It's not about doing works. It's not about following this list. You, you've got it wrong, Galatians. Remember, there are these people that have become so confused by, we've got to follow the law to be able to stay. And he says, no, you are saved by grace through faith. It's not of works. It's, the law is what condemns us. The law is what shows us we're not worthy. And so there's all this tension this whole time. And then finally in chapter 6, the apostle Paul says, in doing this, in being saved by faith, by grace through faith, and and living your life surrendered and crucified in Christ, and your life is not your own, and being an adopted son or daughter of the king, walking in the Spirit, and doing that, then you step in and restore other people, other believers, that is fulfilling the law of Christ. Man, I, I wish I could read it in their context. How, how this church who first got this letter, who struggled with understanding what that was and what it looked like, that the law, fulfilling the law of Christ came from the fruit of this kind of obedience. And that kind of obedience came from a relationship that they had already had through faith in Jesus. It's, uh, it's powerful. So restore others. And so that really is the first application. I think we threw it up there. Throw it up there one more time. Um, This idea that what it looks like, one of the first things, there's going to be two or three major things in this chapter, what it looks like to apply the ingredients of the gospel, the ingredients of the first five chapters of Galatians, look outward and restore others. Look outward and restore others. It's part of what our life should look like as a believer. Okay, pick up in verse 3. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. <clears throat> there, is, um, there is a lie of pride that is in all of us, that sneaks in all of us, that, um, that pollutes all of us. Um, and this lie of, of pride, of my pride, is that man, I'm pretty good. I mean, when I look in the mirror and it's like, yeah, you know, spiritually and all the things, I'm doing good. Like, I am doing good. And Paul says, hey, if anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, not if you're nothing, when you are nothing. Like, Paul is pretty humbling here. If anyone thinks that you're it when you're not, you're deceiving yourself. But instead, test your work. Test that. Evaluate. We should have because of who Christ is, because of the truth of Scripture, there should be a real holy humility within our life because our standard is a holy and perfect God. And the reason that we don't go around moping and, oh man, so I guess I just need to be falsely humble all the time and yeah, we stink and we're no good and this is, is because we should also simultaneously as that humility have the most incredible, bold, life-giving, joy-giving confidence Because we boast in Christ. Because if we're believers, the lie of pride that says, hey, I'm doing pretty good, should be killed and mortified and taken out back and slaughtered. But instead, what should be replaced with that that pride that I'm doing pretty good is, no, I'm not, but Christ in me. Remember what Paul says in Galatians 2.20. For I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives within me. That's what we boast in. That's why we have confidence that's why we don't have to walk around in false humility as an, as an over-exaggeration of, well, I don't want to come across prideful. Um, and, here's, and here's how that happens. It happens because we're looking outwardly in a dangerous way and we fall into the comparison game. Right? That's what we do. We, we look at somebody else and we think, okay... Um, let, maybe I'm, okay, I'm not as attractive as that person, so I'm gonna create a different standard. I'm smarter than that person. I'm more intelligent. Okay, maybe I'm not as intelligent as that person, but I'm funnier. I'm, I'm a funnier person than that person is, or, or I have a higher status or more money, and so that, and so we do that to rank people, and we, and we do it in our sinful hearts because it allows us to prop ourselves up and feel better, and so we can tear down other people, and man, that person's great, but they don't do this good, and I do this good, and so because we're finding our confidence in the comparison game. We're finding our value and our, our, our status in the comparison game, and we do it spiritually. Well, I'm more spiritual. That's great that that person like, drives a Maserati and they're a model, but I had a longer quiet time this morning, right? And, and we wrestle with that. Um, can I say something crazy that happened this week? Yes. Thank you. Um, <laughs> um, so um, this week, a... A presidential candidate, there was a recording of a presidential candidate, I know you guys have never heard this before, um, I know this is news to y'all, I'm filling you in, uh, where he essentially bragged about sexual assault, right? Um, that happened. And and then what happened, and that stinks, and everyone in this room agrees that stinks, um, but then what happened was believers um, of Jesus, and not this church, but but. Christians, right, and and people who are publicly um, kind of wearing the badge of, yes, I'm going to go on some news network and represent uh, Christ, they then took that blatant sin, and they minimized that sin by comparing it to another candidate's even worse sin. And nobody's saying that 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 sin of another candidate or maybe policies that another candidate has is, is even worse and even more destructive and even immoral, yes. Yes, we should as the church speak against sin and immorality. But what we can't do is stop calling sin sin. We can't for the sake of, well, yeah, but it's not that bad because look at this. No, it's joking about sexual assault. There's people in this room that have either been sexually assaulted or harassed or you. No, we as a church can't stand up and say it's not that bad because this person's sin is greater, we call sin, sin. We don't compare, right? We don't, we don't look at us and say, oh, well, I'm doing pretty good, let me look at the other person and that's where I get boastful. for Now, we call sin, sin, and we let the world see, yes, that's sin. Now, does that mean we don't vote for them? No, that's up to you, right? That's a your conscience issue, and that's not my point here. My point isn't that, well, then they crossed the line and now I can't compromise. Our pastor, Ted Kitchens, gave a really great sermon five or six weeks ago, you should check it out. In this sermon, he really kind of walks through the idea of what do we do with the political system? And he has these two pictures, this two, the scale of a consequence voter and a conscience voter, right? And there's this consequence and conscience voter and it's kind of the scale. And some people are gonna vote more on consequences because they see, man, if this person gets in office, there's gonna be some major consequences that I find immoral and I can't get behind as a believer, this and this and this. But also, some people are gonna vote based on conscience, there's a balance there. There's a line there somewhere, right? Somebody might say, well, I really like this person's policies and, and I really like who they are, but they've got, they've got brown hair and I just, I just don't, I just can't support someone with brown hair. I just can't in good conscience vote for a brown haired person, right? That would be ridiculous. And we'd say, okay, well, that conscience is maybe a little too sensitive, right? Right? Like maybe like dial it back a little bit. Um, right, and so we could swing too far that way, but w- you have to wrestle with that. I really would encourage you to listen to that sermon. I thought it was, it was great. You have to wrestle with that. So this isn't about who you vote for. At the end of the day, you might decide, yes, there's sin here, Yes, there's sin here. I'm going, to, I'm going to show my voice as an American and, and select somebody. Um, and if I'm deciding between these two, if that's a choice you make to decide between those two, then, then okay, this is what I'm going to do. And, and so that's between you and the Lord and your conscience. Um, but what we can't do as a church, what we can't do as a church is to minimize sin. We've kind of come up and say, yeah, That's horrible. That's horrible. And that's sin. And then, yes, all the politics and voting and evaluating, but is it worse? And, but if this person gets in office, fine, that's a separate conversation. But as the church of Jesus Christ representing him, we can't just minimize sin. On either side, on any side. There's multiple candidates, too, but just, you just can't do that. We, that's not how it works. Let's each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, not his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Um, we test our own work. We look at ourselves. We look at what, what we've done rather than comparing ourselves to other people to justify us. Well, I'm better than that person, so I'm going to feel more justified. My sin is, is not as bad as that person. I think an example I used recently was um, the idea of if I'm, a, if I'm a crackhead drug dealer, but my next door neighbor is a pedophile serial killer and somebody calls me out on my sin, I don't get to just say, well, yeah, but look at this guy. Right? That's, not how, that's not how it works with us and the Lord. That's maybe how politics works, and we have to step in and play that game if we want to have our voice heard, but we still call sin, sin. And we evaluate it not based on comparison. And really practically, in your life, who are you comparing yourself to so that you feel better about your sin? I mean, you, you guys are here on a Wednesday night there's people out there like doing all kinds of crazy, illegal stuff right now, but you guys are here on a Wednesday night, so there's a level of, there's a lot of people in this room who are going to be more moral, and if we look at ourselves and say, man, I'm doing pretty good, and we boast in ourselves, and we say, yeah, man, again, I'm not saying false humility, I'm not saying we hang our head low, but if we look at ourselves and say, no, I'm, my sin isn't that bad, and, we, and the Lord reveals sin, or somebody calls it out in us, here's a technique I use a lot. Somebody calls out sin in me, and I say, well, you're a hypocrite. Maybe they are, right? Like maybe there's just as much, but it doesn't change the fact that that sin in my heart is still there and needs to be dealt with before the Lord. There needs to be confession, repentance, and restoration. So our second application, right, from this as a believer is to look inward and evaluate your own work. We look outward and we restore others, but also we look inwardly and we evaluate our own hearts in line with what God has called us to do, which is be holy as he is holy, And that's our standard. And by the grace of God, we take baby step after baby step. Verse 7. Verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Uh, the third application we see here as believers is don't give up. Right? We're supposed to be restoring people, looking, looking, seeing where the Spirit might have us step into someone's life to restore. We're supposed to be looking inward and checking our own wicked hearts and evaluating that and doing that work. And then the third thing that Paul's saying real clearly is don't give up. Don't give up. This is a cycle. We restore, we check ourselves, and then we do it again. We step into someone's life, we bring restoration, we speak truth into them, we check ourselves, and then we do it again. We do good. Don't grow weary in doing good. Continue to step into the things that God has called you to do. Continue to step into obedience. Do good. And there's a great warning here too. He says, you're going to reap what you sow. And, uh, and that's, a, that's a scary thought at times. Um, I'm going to reap what I sow. Someone said this one time, way smarter than me. I don't know where it, who said it first, but a lot of people have, have quoted it. It's, it's this train of thought. Track with this. You sow a thought, so you just have maybe an impure thought or a wicked thought or an evil or a jealous thought. You sow that thought. You allow that thought to kind of take root in your life and say, yeah, I'm just going to dwell on that. You spend your car ride thinking about it. You're going to bed and you're wherever that is. You sow a thought and you reap an action. You sow an action and you reap a habit. You sow a habit, you reap a character. You sow a character, you reap a destiny. And there's this idea that I think sometimes we minimize our sin in that way too. And we don't really take this warning of be careful because you're going to reap what you sow, what you bury in the ground is going to grow into something. So even if we just say, well, it's just some thoughts. Well, it's just sometimes I do this, but I, well, okay, yeah, so I've got this habit. Okay, well, yes, I'm this character of person. Right? So that, it's, this, it's this slope of all of a sudden, if we are sowing into our life immorality and wickedness and lust and jealousy and pride and insecurity and lies that we might believe about ourselves, if we're sowing, if we're allowing lies to stay there and not rebuking them and if we're doing those things, then we're going to look up. The Lord says, and that's what we're going to reap. We're going to look up one day and say, man, this is the fruit of that. I'm surrounded by all these trees now that have all this deeper-rooted sin. You're going to sow what you reap. I mean, you're going to reap what you sow. Sin is dangerous. Um, sin is so dangerous. And it's not, it's not bad. Sin is not bad and dangerous because, oh, it's, well, it's wrong. You're not supposed to do it. Sin... Sin isn't bad because it's wrong. Uh, Sin is wrong because it's bad and dangerous. Because at the very root of it, it seeks to kill and destroy. The enemy would love, the enemy that is at war with you and with the church of God would love to destroy your life by sowing in sin that you're going to reap in your marriages or in your families, in your workplace, in your life decades from now. The way that we spend our young adult life the temptations that we face as young adults. Being in in college ministry for a long time, I really saw this lie play out of college students because college is this kind of anomaly of freshman to senior year, and it's this kind of bubble. And I really saw this anomaly with with people who would really remove themselves from our ministry uh, or from anything spiritual. And there was this lie that they would buy into, I'm just going to get sin out of my system. Colleges, I was a pretty moral kid in high school, and now it's college, I'm away from my parents. Man, this is my four years to just cut loose. This is just four years where I could just do whatever I want to do on the weekends and live for myself, and then, yes, I'll dial it back after I graduate and get a job and settle, all those things. I I saw that play out in really destructive ways in people's lives, and subtle ways, because they're just spending four years planning things, and now they're wondering why there's no joy in life and why they're stuck in this sin and why that sin of, of maybe maybe it was parting, let's say, turned into a totally different sin but it's still the same root issue. That yeah, maybe they don't get trashed on the weekends like they used to in college and they were so excited to when they were leaving high school but now it's turned into a, a love for the world and materialism or money or it's turned into something else. And what we sow into our life, we're gonna reap. And there's only two options here too. There's... Sowing into the spirit and they're sowing into the flesh. I think that should bring us some conviction too. There's not a neutral ground. If you ever fall into the lie of feeling like if somebody asks you, hey man, how are you doing spiritually? You know, you're you're in a home group, Lord willing, and, and people going around, how are you doing spiritually? Yeah, I'm just kind of plateauing. I I don't think there's a plateau. I don't see any room for a plateau. Not just in Galatians 6, but throughout Scripture, there's not a plateau. You're either growing and killing sin, mortifying, killing, murdering sin in your life and, and seeking it out and, and, and revealing it and saying, man, this stinks, this, is gonna, this, isn't, this isn't fun, this isn't life-giving and confessing it and repenting and walking out of it, or you're not. Maybe it's just a sin of apathy, right? Maybe it's who knows what that is. And so the lie that we can just shift in neutral is dangerous, because certainly in my life, I, I fall into that trap all the time and I coast. Well, I just kind of coast for a while. But what happens when I stop coasting is I look back and I think, no, I was drifting. I was actually just drifting. I wasn't coasting. What's it look like to sow into the Spirit, though? Right? I think we know, we hear lots of sermons on all the bad things. So What's it look like to do the opposite then? What does it look like to be believers who are trying to do good and sow into the Spirit? Here's what it looks like. It looks like getting around other people who are going to speak truth into your life. It looks like getting around a community of other people who love the gospel of Jesus Christ and understand the gospel of Jesus Christ and are going to speak that into your life. It looks like worshiping Jesus and putting yourself in a place to corporately worship with a bunch of people who aren't like you and don't look like you and don't always have the same worldview as you and worshiping Jesus for who he is. Um, Being in the word of God, that's how you sow into the spirit. The spiritual disciplines, prayer and meditation and, and man, fasting. Have have you guys ever fasted? Have you ever said, you know, I'm just going to fast from this because God is better than this and because Jesus is better than maybe it's food for three days or maybe it's, you know, TV or maybe it's I'm going to fast from social media or maybe it's going to fast from paying taxes or whatever it is that you want to fast from, (laughs) whatever that looks like. And you say, man, I'm going to do that because I want to really tenderize my heart to what the Spirit of God might be doing. And step into spiritual discipline, sow into things that are spiritual, that are glorifying to God. Here's the last thing I want to say um, with this for now. Um, this is what it looks like. This is, this is some of the major application. The major. This is just a broad shadow. Keep digging in. There's so much in this chapter. And I really challenge you. Read chapter 6. I mean, read chapter six six times, between now and, and next Wednesday. It takes like five minutes, three to five minutes. I mean, read chapter six of what it looks like, what the ingredients should kind of lead to this lifestyle and, and who we should boast in, that we should boast in the cross of Christ and not ourself, and wrestle with that and think about it and meditate about it and, and dig deep here, um, because this really is a culmination of, of who we are when our identity is in Christ. But um, here's the thing, too, let's not put the cart before the horse. Who we are as someone who looks outwardly to restore others, who looks inwardly to check myself and check my own heart, and then just continues to do good and love people and and, and have that cycle on repeat in their life, That that comes from understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ. That comes from my life no longer being my own. The gospel is that we are broken. We don't deserve Him. We have been separated from God. We're not righteous enough. Our church attendance didn't buy us God. And yet, our God still loved us, met us in our brokenness, and sent Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice, to pay for all of our wickedness and all of our sin and all of our transgression and all of those things that we do against God and came to pay for those and die on a cross and raise again. And now, if we are believers, then we have put our faith in that Savior. We have said, I can't do this on my own. I have not found what I've been looking for in the world, and I have not even found it in doing good religious things and trying to follow the law and the list of do's and don'ts. I'm going to surrender to Christ. That is the starting point. And after that, after the gospel, this should be the result. Let's not get those backwards. Let's not walk out of here with just behavior modification. I'm going to do these things more. I'm going to step in more. I'm going to do some of these things that sow into the spirit more, let's not walk out of here with behavior modification that isn't first led by heart change. You are loved by the God of the universe, people. The God of the universe loves you for some insane reason, loves a broken sinner like me and paid the price that he did and bought me because I have surrendered my life to him and Lord willing, if you're in this room and you've surrendered your life to him and now you Get to live for him in obedience. And if you haven't, if you're in this room you're like, yeah, I just haven't taken that step. I'm not there. Man, praise God that you're in this room. But I would argue one of the reasons you're in this room is maybe because you haven't found it in other places. Maybe you're in this room because you've tried religion or you've tried the world or you've tried other things. And you just haven't figured out how to fix yourself. You have a God. You have a Father who says, come. I will bring restoration. And I am better. I am better than anything the world has to offer. Let me pray for you. Father, we love you and we are so grateful for how you love us, Lord. Uh, Thank you for Jesus, Lord. Thank you that you have sent a savior because, Lord, we know we needed saving. Um, God, would you continue to do this work in us, Lord? Would you make us a culture of people, a a church, a body of Christ that um, speaks into brokenness, Lord? That that seeks to restore other people, that sees other people when they're stuck in sin, that would seek them out and love them well enough to so gently restore them back to what is true and what is good and what is right because we care enough about them. And then, God, would you teach us to be people who check our own hearts at every turn, that we wouldn't boast and brag on ourselves? We'd check our hearts at every turn. And then we wouldn't grow tired of that, Lord. We would continue that. We'd continue doing good. That is a response for the grace you have shown us. Would we respond now, Lord, as we worship? Would we respond in how much better you are than than all of the the things of the world? And Lord, would we be convicted of of all the the ways that we put other things before you? Um, But Lord, we're begging, Lord, that your spirit would change our hearts and that you would truly make our hearts believe this. In the name of Jesus, amen.